many of you guys know what's coming next? Yep, I'm going to serenade you. That's great, it starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplanes. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane, listen to yourself, turn world, trust its own needs, don't be serving wrong needs, speed it up and not speed, grunt, no strength, the ladder starts to clatter with beer, fight, cloud, height, dire in the fire, institution, the government for hire in a combat site. Lester isn't coming in a hurry with a fury screaming down your neck. Team of team reporters got a trunk, trout a crop, look at that low plane, fine, then, uh-oh, overflow, population, come quick, what it'll do, save yourself, serve yourself, world service, don't need, listen to your heart bleed, tell me in the rapture, in the reverend, in the right, Right, you patriotic, patriotic, slam the bright light, feel it, pretty sight. The end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Go and know that God loves you. Uh, so that's what we're here to talk about tonight, right? The end of the world? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, you guys have no idea how many times I, I sang that song in uh, bars and clubs around, and I almost could remember all the words from 20 years ago, but I did have to remind myself. Uh, so, so here we are uh, at, at, at Mark uh, chapter 13, this mysterious dense, intense teaching of Jesus. It's the longest single discourse in the whole Gospel of Mark. Big block of of, uh, words that have been debated and talked about for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I want to suggest to you tonight that before you even get started, that uh, chapter 13 really goes with chapter 12. So Jesus has come into the temple, as Pastor Mark talked about on Sunday, and has sort of cleansed it and, and, and sort of uh, made a very visible physical comment on the state of the temple. And then right after that, uh, he interacts with all the religious leaders of Israel in the temple sort of area. Some of them temple people, some of them Pharisees who weren't really like temple people, but it's basically as uh, Dan and I were talking, like Jesus is just putting the intellectual beat down on anybody. It's like a royal rumble. Um, and, and I love it when I get to see Jesus just being brilliant. And I don't know if we think about him in that way, as crazy as it seems. We think of him as Savior, and, and we think of him as the Son of God and the third person of the Trinity. But sometimes I think it's cool to just to realize that Jesus was really, really smart. And to see the way he elevates conversations and he turns arguments back on people and kind of exposes their motives is just a really, really cool thing to me. And so he's done these things, making these comments on the temple. And then we get to, to chapter 13, where he's asked a specific question about the temple. And then he goes on this really, really long teaching uh, that is very, very difficult to understand at times and difficult even to just process. Um, So if it's okay with you guys, just because um, it's Holy Week and I'm feeling a particular just burden, 
I would like to pray uh, again um, just before we go any further. So if you guys would bow your heads. God, we are here to hear from you. We are here to lay down ourselves and to understand what you might have for us in these weeks, God, or in these days that lead up to the cross. God, I know as we point to Friday, um, I know the way this week ends. And it really bums me out, even though I know Sunday's coming, God. And so every day that we get closer to Friday, uh, I feel personally a heavier burden, Lord. And I just pray that you would bear me up, bear us all up in this room tonight. And I pray that we would learn from you and learn from your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we're going to begin with the first verse of chapter 13. So as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. And the temple was magnificent. It was huge. And the stones were huge. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Then later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will you show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Now, before we go any further, uh, I want to suggest a couple things to you. One, that something very, very significant has just happened and has just been said by Jesus. But before we get to that, we have to understand what the temple was to the Jewish people. The temple was the visible representation of God's sort of plan for Israel. Like the temple was the place where everyone in Israel could look and go, there is a God in Israel, and he lives in Jerusalem, and he resides in this temple. And that is the way it had always been for Israel. The temple was the thing. And if the temple was threatened, if the sanctity of the temple was threatened, all Israel would tend to get up in arms, or at least the majority of Israel. And the temple was defended over and over again. If something threatened the temple, it's like everybody calm down, we're going to defend this thing. It was the symbol that we, they were special. It was the thing they could point to in their lives that say, you see how much God loves us? We have the temple. Now, Jesus has gone into the temple and sort of made a comment on what the temple was doing, and it wasn't very positive, right? This is not rare in first century Judaism. People had problems with the temple. It was not an unknown thing that the temple was not, like, not all right. People knew the temple was kind of out of whack. So Jesus comes, and he does what a prophet does, and he says, It's something is wrong. Something smells in the temple. This in of itself is not a tremendously rare thing. But when his disciples ask this question, he takes it a step further. And he says, the temple is going to be demolished. Not cleansed, not reformed, not tweaked. Game over. 
No second chances for the temple. This is shocking to the disciples. And I don't know if we can even understand that. It would be like going from the step of saying like, you know what, government needs to be cleaned up to saying like, no, let's just blow up the White House and start over. And it's that type of thing. We're just like, whoa, like we've just entered a new territory here, Jesus. Like really? And in fact, some people think that the, the question that the disciples ask, hey, look at these magnificent stones, that it's a loaded question. In chapter 10 of Mark, James and John come to Jesus and they say, hey, when, when this kingdom thing starts, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand, right? And there's this thing with the disciples that they don't always get what Jesus' end game is. And so they, uh, James and John say, well, we think that this kingdom thing is going to involve like Jesus being in some kind of power in Israel. And we want to sit at that table with Jesus. So can we sit at your right hand and left hand? And some people think that this question about the temple is a similar situation where they go, these stones sure are impressive. And then between the lines, ain't it gonna be great when we get to run this place? Because that's what the Messiah and the king of Israel was going to do. He, the king sort of ran the temple, had authority over the temple. So the disciples are like, hey, when this all starts, this is going to be awesome. And then Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Thinking is wrong here. Temple is going to be demolished because he knows what? Something better is coming. So when the disciples ask, like, when is all this going to happen? They want to know because this is a really, really intense moment for them. You mean the temple's going away? The thing that we've relied on is going away? You have to tell us, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And so Jesus responds um, in a typical Jesus way. He could have just given a date, but he doesn't. He goes on this really long discourse that unfolds sort of in two levels, I want to suggest. Now, the first level, Jesus just calls like the birth pains, the birth pangs. So when he says, Um, these are the preparations, these are the birth pangs, this is what's going to lead up to something. And here's what's going to happen in the birth pangs. He's going to say, you're going to be beaten. There's going to be deception. There's going to be betrayal. There's going to be trials. There is going to be uh, families torn apart because of me. You'll be hated because of me. But Jesus says, through all this, guess what? I want you to endure. I want you to persevere. I want you to hang in there. I don't want you to panic. If you're at trial, the Spirit, will. you'll be given what you need to say. He says, nation is going to rise against nation. There's going to be wars and earthquakes. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And all through it all, Jesus says, wait, hang in there, endure, stay, stay stay. Now, we think that the gospel of Mark was written uh, around the city of Rome and for Christians in the city of Rome around 60 AD. Now, around 60 AD, the first persecutions of the Christians are beginning. And so, the people who would read this the first time are starting to experience trials, beatings, betrayals. And furthermore, 
there's about to be a war between the Romans and the Jews where Jerusalem is going to be annihilated. That's a whole sort of other deal. But the point is, the first audience of the Gospel of Mark would have said, this is happening right now. And Jesus says, be patient, endure. In fact, for 2,000 years after, this is still our situation. And Jesus still says to us, persevere, hang in there. It's not time yet. I'm with you. But that's just the first phase. And after you have labor pains, you got to birth the baby. And so when Jesus starts talking about what's coming next, things change. So let's take a look at what he says. Jesus says, the day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he or it should not be, and then Mark puts this note in, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. So Jesus says that you, you wait, you're patient, you endure, you hang in there, but there's going to come a time where you don't wait anymore. There's going to come a time when you have to run. And what's the difference? What happens? It's this thing called the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Now, what is that? It's a phrase that comes out of the book of Daniel. Um, and it specifically was written for this guy uh, in Daniel named Antiochus. And Antiochus was a Syrian king, and he conquered sort of uh, Israel, and he came into Jerusalem, and he came into the temple, and he burned a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. So this was about the worst thing that could happen if you were a Jew watching this happen. This was desecration. This was uh, the sacrilegious person, because some language says it's not a sacrilegious object, it's a sacrilegious person. So this is where Daniel got it from. But obviously that had already happened before. This was like 167 BC. So Jesus is not talking. He's using that language, but he's talking about something else. What is he talking about? The bottom line is we don't know. Some people thought it was the Roman general Titus, who was later the emperor, who came into the temple. And the sacrilegious object were the Roman eagles that the Roman army carried with them. And the Jews found that to be sacrilegious. Uh, Some people thought it was actually Pontius Pilate, who we'll get to know in a couple days, who actually tried to enter the temple and bring Roman troops into the temple. Some people think that it was um, a priest that was sort of a false priest that was installed by the zealots. His name was Fani. And basically he came in with sort of a militant agenda and it was considered sacrilegious because he did not have the priestly credentials and he was installed almost as a joke. Some people thought that the emperor Nero was gonna be reincarnated and he was going to come to the temple. So the bottom line, lots of people. We don't know. And obviously, we, in a sense, this is still not happened yet. But here's the deal. If we were talking about the end of the world, because a lot of people have said that this passage, a lot of people look at this and say, this is the end of the world. Why does Jesus tell you to run and leave Jerusalem? 
A lot of, a lot of theologians say, why run if the end of the world is coming? Jesus says, go to the hills. But I think it'd be kind of, kind of almost a joke if Jesus say, go to the hills. Uh, if the world is ending, the hills are coming down too. If the, if the world is ending, it doesn't matter if you're 10 yards away from the temple or 100, 100 miles away from the temple. The, the world is still ending. But Jesus says, no, you have to get out of Jerusalem. You have to flee. There's a couple different ways to flee. There's a type of fleeing where you are just, um, even implied here, you are just running for your life. But there's something subtle that's going on inside here. There's a fleeing uh, that's that's implied when Jesus says flee that basically says, do not hang around the temple. When you see the sacrilegious object, you don't stick around to endure it, to fight, to persevere. You abandon the temple. You flee because what is here is not worth defending anymore. Where Jesus has basically said, when this happens, don't fight it. Don't try to defend the temple. You can leave. So the Jews are sitting there, the disciples are sitting there being somewhat good, uh, still good Jewish men going like, wait, don't defend the temple? Jesus, Jesus says, abandon it. Flee. Get out. Get out of Jerusalem. The temple's going to fall. You don't need, to, you don't need to, to fight for it, defend it. So, The mind-blowing thing that's going on here is Jesus saying, this thing that you hold so dear is in danger. And for a while, you should resist, but something will happen. And when it comes time, when the final judgment has been rendered, when there's no chance for repenting, for changing the temple, just get out, just leave it. Because something better is going to come. Jesus doesn't say that, but we know the end of the story at this point. We know that God has something better in mind than the temple. We've looked and looked at this, at this, uh, at these passages for for hundreds and thousands of years, trying to figure out what all these signs mean, and we're still trying to. And 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 finally, Jesus gets to the question the disciples ask. Right, the disciples ask, "When is all this going to happen? What sign will you show us?" Well, finally, after this huge discourse, Jesus gets around to answering the question in verse 32. However, no one knows the day or hour. Thanks a lot, Jesus. When these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Interestingly, this is the one time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus calls himself the Son and not the Son of Man. He says, I am the Son, not anything else. He strips away. It's very, very subtle there. Only the Father knows, and since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. All right. So, but what about all these signs? What about all the stuff that's in here? What about the earth, you know, the the sun going dark or the moon going dark? Jesus says, right, right, I get all that. But your job is to just watch for this stuff. Your job is to be on guard. You're not going to know. I have lived, I know, I have lived through one, one rapture I know of. It was 
I think in 1988, September, I want to say, because I was in college, it was front page. I, you know, I lived in Texas, so things are a little bit different in Texas. It was front page headline, end of the world coming in September. The guy had figured it all out. I know I've lived through one rapture. I don't know if there have been any other since then, and maybe the Mayans will prove us all wrong in 2012. But the bottom line is you can't get caught up in the signs of all of this stuff. Because here's the deal about signs, and I just decided I ran across some stuff this week. We're going to have some fun with signs. These are some great signs that I came across. Don't drink and drive, or drink and make signs. Uh, Here's the next one. Next. Isn't that awesome? Next. This is a little subtle. You get it? Look at the Sunday sermon. (laughs) And then here's the last one, which I found uh, the most enjoyable. Psychic fair. Psychic fair canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. Now, I am not at all implying that God mistakes signs. If he wanted to send a sign, it would be utterly clear. But I just wanted to have some fun with that and just prove the point that sometimes signs can get taken way, way out of whack. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, what is your temple? What is your temple? The Jews had this thing that that said, this is the thing that shows how much God loves us. This is the thing that makes me who I am. This is the most significant thing in my life that I build my world around. What is your temple? What is the thing that you look to in your life that you say, this is what shows me that God loves me. This is the thing that I build my world around. This is the thing that I will fight for and never Abandon. Because the difficult thing about Jesus is that sometimes Jesus will come to your temple. And he may not pronounce it evil or anything like that, but he may say, this thing is not necessary anymore. The thing that you've been holding on to, the thing that you think you build your entire world around is no longer relevant to the situation that I want to bring about in your life. So you might look at your life and you say, well, maybe that there's this relationship that I'm uh, moving towards or that I have, and that this is the thing that, that, that makes me me. And Jesus comes to it and says, that's not necessary for what I want to do in your life. It might be a job. This is my temple. This is the thing that I look to and go like, see God, see how much God loves me? See this vocation, see this calling, see this job. And Jesus comes and says, that may not be relevant to what I want to bring about in your life. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus kind of gives us a hint of this when he says, you know what? If you have a right hand and your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Same with eyes, same with feet. Better to come into the kingdom with only one hand or one foot than it is to be stuck outside it with whole things. Now, the last time I checked, hands and feet and eyes are useful things. 
But Jesus says that even useful things outlive their usefulness in the light of what he wants to do in our lives. So we look and we go sometimes, what is the thing that I hold to so dearly? And I go, there's no way Jesus would ever do that. The disciples were going, there's no way Jesus would ever pronounce judgment on the temple. But guess what? He did. Because in just a few short days, God's temple was going to be with his people. And the spirit was going to live in his people and in us. So whatever temple you have in your life, there may come a time when Jesus says, it's time to flee your temple. Don't fight it. Let it go. Because what's coming next is going to be a lot better than what you have now, even if it doesn't make sense. That this God um, brings life out of death. He brings new promise out of destruction of the temple. That he brings promise out of tragedy. And I think as we walk our journey to the cross this week, it is our burden to ask ourselves in so many ways, are there a, is there a temple in my life that Jesus is saying, it's done. Get away from it. It's time for it to fall. And don't fight it. Um, Trace, you can come up. and I just want to spend just a, a short time responding to, to, maybe, uh, to maybe something that God has brought into your mind. And I would just encourage you to just maybe through the just if there's a discernment thing in your heart or maybe there's just a friend you need to talk to and go like, man, I think I might be hammering me on this. It might be time to let this fall. Like those are the types of things that the body, the church is good for. I just invite you to search your heart now or or in the, the next few days and ask yourself if there's something that God wants to take out of your life. That doesn't even make sense to you, but maybe he does. Thank you.